0: Every day, we're bombarded with messages and ideas that vie for our attention and acceptance. And with the internet and social media dominating so much of our lives, the need for spiritual discernment, the ability to rightly evaluate those ideas through the lens of scripture, is critically important. And yet it seems that many Christians, including many Christian leaders, lack spiritual discernment, constantly falling prey to the latest trend and sucked into the latest controversy. In our interview today, I'm talking with Tim Challies about what spiritual discernment actually looks like, why it's so important for the mature Christian, and how to cultivate it in our own lives. Tim is a well-known Christian blogger, an elder at his church, and the author of The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Sure, it's my pleasure. So you published your book, The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment, in 2007, Uh, and in the 15 years since that time, a lot has changed in the world, including within evangelicalism and the landscape around us in the church. Do you sense that when it comes to just the broad trends, but then even in particular issues related to discernment? Yeah, it's very much a different world now than Mm -hmm. it was back then,
1: and in 2006 when I was writing, 2007 when it was published, we're very much in a period of gathering Christians together around common theology. And so I think this book was part of that. Mm -hmm. It was trying to say, here are the keys to discernment. And if we are agreed on these foundations of the Christian faith, there's much we can do together. Fifteen years on, it seems, we're sort of in the reverse process of now doing more partitioning than gathering. And discernment has now become, I think, almost the opposite in pushing people away, in a sense, using discernment to to drive people off and keep the fold small rather than wide.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that because it does seem like Uh, the church is more fractured, more divided, there's more controversial disagreement about issues today than there maybe was 15 years ago. At least it seems maybe it's more public or obvious today. Do you think that's in general because of discernment happening in a good way? That's the fruit of good discernment, or is that the fruit of maybe a lack of discernment in some sense? Probably both, in a sense,
1: but there was this period where we were really trying to draw together around those theological foundations that we had in common, and that was a really neat time. Now, Mm.
0: we might have been a little idealistic about it and cast our net too wide. Do do you think that you did that? Would you say that was... Can you look back at things that you wrote or said where you feel like I wasn't really seeing the whole picture? Yeah. I mean I, I think in that context, I was in a period of transition myself
1: where I was I think I was going into writing the book a little bit of a a little bit of a pill when it came to discernment. And but at that time we were dealing with the emerging church and we were dealing with big box evangelicalism. And so we were looking at those things and saying, We as people who are part of this new Calvinism, we're pulling away from that and forming this own thing, and we're drawing Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians. Yeah, there was a coalescing
0: among those uh, in that circle, but there was also some distinctions.
1: So we were defining ourselves against some of these other movements. Really, there was the church growth movement, and I think out of that came two things, was the emerging church movement and the new Calvinism. And those two movements pulled out, one of which really focused on orthodoxy, the other really focused on... Uh, freshness or something. Mm. Um, the new Calvinism was looking back in church history and drawing from that. The emerging church was trying to create this new thing. And over time, the emerging church sort of faded away. It, the seeds of its destruction were sown right right into mm. it from the get-go. But the reform movement
0: survived as an offshoot or a reaction to the church growth movement. Mm. But some, some today would say that that reform movement today we're seeing some of the disintegration of that movement right and so what happened possibly was too many people
1: drew into that movement too quickly without really thinking through the issues mm. and you had some people who clearly shouldn't have been part of it and you know i think there's an idealism where we drew in people who are probably pragmatically attached to reform theology not convictionally attached mm. to reform theology where they were following the trend and they followed the trend in and probably followed the trend right out but definitely something's changed in the last few years where I think other influences from outside the church have come in and fragmented Mm -hmm. the reform movement. Yeah,
0: so it's hard to talk about this issue and the changes that we've seen in evangelicalism over the last decade or so without talking about social media and the internet. Uh, And it's remarkable to me that in 2006, the year before the book was released, when you were actually writing it, is when we saw Twitter first launch, we saw Facebook go public in terms of people can sign up outside of a school or college context. What impact has the rise of social media had on where we're at today in terms of these issues? When I wrote the book, blogs were social
1: media. That's what social media was. And blogs were very interactive back then. We don't yeah. realize that today, but one person would write an article, other people would respond to it, and they would be there would be links from one to the other. Right, And so it was a conversational medium. And, you know, there there were some bad actors in there. There were some grouchy people, and we were sometimes not so kind to one another. But generally, the idea was to have these interactive engagements Mm. between different writers. And I think there was a a sweet spot there where that was really an enjoyable
0: time. And and you were one of the, I would say, a leading figure in terms of the Christian reformed space. Uh, You've been blogging since how long? Uh, since about 2001.
1: Yeah, so so yeah. you've been there from the very beginning. Yeah, because blogs really came along around 2000 was when they started to gain traction through a few well-known figures in the mainstream world. And then some Christians picked it up. And I started writing, I think before I'd even heard the term blog, I was just writing on the Internet, as one did. <laughs> um, Yeah, and so I think what I was doing was, in a sense, writing myself out of uh, the church growth movement, which I had been embedded in for some time, grew up with deep reformed roots, Mm. but left that to get into mainstream evangelicalism, and then through some of the purpose-driven life, other products that were coming out in the early 2000s, and were really big i I essentially wrote myself back into the reform space through the blog Mm -hmm. because i was just thinking about processing through that writing yeah externally processing Mm -hmm. and then what happened is other people were searching around for information about these books about the movie the passion of the christ about some of the the other books that were coming out at that time and you know using this new technology of search engines alta vista all that even google people weren't really using back then Mm -hmm. it was still new technology And uh, people found it and latched onto it and started reading it. And the blog just sort of grew
0: organically as one of the early expressions of the new Calvinism. Yeah. Let's take a big step back for a minute. And how would you define discernment? Because I think that's a word that we hear a lot today in different contexts. And we're going to get into some of those things in a minute. But how would you define discernment? And then how would you define spiritual discernment as a next step? Yeah. Discernment is really a
1: a separation, it's separating good from bad. The root is very much in pulling two things apart Mm. and separating them out. When it comes to spiritual discernment, you're talking about separating truth from error and right from wrong. And as I think it was Charles Spurgeon said, almost right from right as well. So things that Mm. seem really close to the truth, but actually are, you know, just aimed one or two degrees wrong, which eventually will lead you far away. Why is that worth highlighting the almost truth category? Just because we have to be very careful, and even as we are drawing people together around discernment, we're we're separating, so now we're pulling people together who believe the same thing. I think we have to be careful that we understand that just a little bit of error in certain directions, if you believe just a few things wrong about the Trinity, eventually you're still going to end up far away from the truth. Mm. And so just being very careful. You don't don't always have to be completely pedantic. And I think that's part of what we're seeing in the world today is a lot of separation over issues that aren't primary issues.
0: Yeah. And they're actually very peripheral issues. And let's talk about that. You, in the book, you reference Al Mohler and his concept of theological triage something that we've talked about on this show before with others um how does Which that I should fit? say was at the time he had just written that
1: article it was a relatively new article yeah. you find his triage quoted all over the place now but it was still relatively fresh back then and i think a lot of people myself included were thinking, think man this is so helpful and fresh yeah as a way of looking at how, how does that inform the discussion about discernment yeah, so uh, what Mueller did was he just talked, he used the illustration of medical triage, bringing people into, uh, you know, out from a disaster or something and deciding which people are the most critical and giving attention to them first. And so he broke down theology according to doctrines that are absolutely essential to the Christian faith and then doctrines that are essential to unity within the local church and then doctrines that really don't matter all that much to Christian unity mm. which is just a really helpful way of thinking things through and so you can't you can't have any unity with anyone if you don't believe in the the trinity you can't be a christian at all and so that's that first bucket the second bucket might be something like gifts of the holy spirit if one one person really wants to practice those gifts uh, in the worship of the local church, and somebody else is saying, I do not believe those gifts continue, you can affirm one another's faith, Mm. but you probably can't be part of the same local church. So that's a good secondary issue. And a third level issue then would be things that just don't really impact your unity at all. I can
0: believe what I believe, you can believe what you believe, and we can still be perfectly united. Yeah. So uh, one of the issues that kind of arises from that, though, I've seen sometimes is, people will often take maybe a secondary, even a tertiary type of issue, and they can kind of construct a a logical chain from one doctrine to another, and eventually they get back to some really huge central issue. And and then they kind of say, see, that's why this is so important. How do you think about that? Because it seems like sometimes there are connections if you follow things through, but the person might not actually be saying that final Mm -hmm. thing that you are worried about. I think one of the
1: unhelpful terms that got introduced into the lexicon over the last few years was gospel issue, because there are some issues that are absolutely fundamental to the gospel. If you take that issue away, the penal substitutionary atonement, yeah. if you take that away, the gospel collapses. Yeah, bodily resurrection of Jesus. Sure, exactly. You have no gospel. You have no nothing to save us anymore. You've destroyed the Christian faith. But the problem with that term is that every issue at some level touches the gospel. And so at some point... Someone to say every issue is a gospel right. issue, and they could prove that it's connected to the gospel. So social justice is one lately where people are saying that is a gospel issue or that is not a gospel issue. Well, it depends how you're defining the term. It yeah. depends what you mean by it. And so I think what happened over time is instead of looking what can draw us together— around the gospel it was starting to be pedantic about these things and saying look i can draw this connection from this issue to the gospel and if you don't believe what i believe even all the way back on this third level then you're eventually going to erode the gospel and so i think we better distance ourselves rather Mm -hmm. than draw together Yeah. So why do you call discernment a discipline? Yeah, it's a discipline because God calls us to do it. We have to do it. We're not allowed to be undiscerning. Mm. And so we have to discipline ourselves to grow our spiritual
0: muscle in a sense, to grow our minds, to grow our knowledge. Because that's what's underlying that I think is interesting. When you call it a discipline, it sort of implies that it's something that you can grow in, that you can practice and become stronger in. It's not necessarily something that just by virtue of being Spirit indwelled Christian, you're going to be good at right. No, and you definitely have to grow at it. And
1: some people are better at it than others. And so I think I put a call in the book to to rely on others who may have more uh, developed discernment as mm-hmm. well. But again, remember the context of the book was a lot of people really getting weary of the church growth movement. And it's just everything had to be big, big, bigger. We were trying to create movements. We were trying to change the world in a very short period of time. And there was just all this energy toward the, these big goals, this big growth. But people are getting tired of it because it wasn't working. We were mm. growing Big churches that were shallow churches and lots of people coming in the front door, tons of people pouring out the back door um, and people reading just some scandalously awful books and really not understanding that these are truly terrible mm. um, books. Remember the people just lapping up stuff that was just silly, just nonsense. Mm. And so I think I was trying to call people to discipline your mind to evaluate things. A lot of people had no idea that just because a book is published by someone who claims to be a Christian, and by a publisher that claims
0: to be Christian, it could be a really wrong book. Yeah, you tell the story of people coming to you saying, hey, what do you think about this book or this book, and Mm. actually reading it and being surprised that they would think that was helpful material right because people didn't have developed they hadn't
1: developed their discernment to mm. really evaluate they didn't even know they were supposed to evaluate they assumed discernment happened upstream at the level of the publisher or the level yeah. of the pastor they didn't know they themselves were responsible before God mm. to evaluate everything including the messages they're hearing the sermons they're hearing from the their own local church and this is what Christians do is like noble Bereans we're opening our Bibles yeah. we're saying is this so and I once wrote a, a review of one of the most huge books, mega sellers. And um, somebody sent me a note and said, I can just imagine it's like you're reading this book in one hand and holding your Bible in the other hand. (laughs) And I said, exactly. That's the best insult I've ever gotten. (laughs) It's exactly what I do. And that's what we're all supposed to do is just compare these things to the
0: Bible and say if this is falling short of the scriptural standards, it's gone. It's junk. Okay, so then one common response to this kind of thinking from both Christians and non-Christians alike would often be something like, judge not lest you be judged. And in saying that, they're quoting Jesus himself from the Gospels. How would you respond to that? Yeah, you can pull out a verse anywhere you want in the Bible and use it to to
1: kind of slam people, Mm -hmm. uh, to call them away from from what they're calling you to. But no, if you, and, and I should say, that's what a lot of churches, especially in this era, were doing. This was the kind of sermon people were hearing. You take a verse completely removed from its context from its natural meaning and you just apply it to a situation yeah but we need to take verses in context understand what was happening around that verse what was happening in that time who was he speaking to and so on and so you can't just take a verse like that slam it down and say judge not well mm. because for every verse that says judge not we're told about the Bereans that I just mentioned a group of people who are hearing from the Apostles hearing from God's ordained servants and were commended for checking all their words against scripture. Hmm. And if, if that's what they were doing, how much more we? Yeah, what's the difference between being discerning and being judgy? Yeah. Discernment is just saying, what does God's word say? And is this true? Does this line up? Is this consistent with God's word? Being judgmental is applying a different standard Mm -hmm. to it. It's probably a standard I myself have created, and now holding something to that standard. I have no right to hold your book to my standard,
0: but I have every right and responsibility to hold your book to God's standard. Yeah. That's another facet then of discernment that we need to keep in mind. We, We tend to think of people who lack discernment as being too permissive, say. They don't hold people to a high enough standard based on the Bible. It seems like there's another category of people who are holding people to a higher standard than the Bible, and they're in, in turn then being too judgmental. Is that true? Yeah, I think so, and we need to
1: be careful. Not No book is going to be perfect, and nobody's beliefs are going to fully line up with our own. At some level, we all diverge a little bit, even in just some of the fine details. So I think we can read other books optimistically, and we can read them and say, you know, I I appreciated this part, but not that part, and and that's okay. Um, We have to be careful when the author is clearly not a Christian, I think, but if we can affirm that person's a believer and writing out of a desire to love the Lord and serve the church, then we can, I think we can read it hopefully and optimistically and, and glean from it. But there's nothing wrong with them saying, but only to this point. And after this, I think he's wrong. Mm. But we don't need to cast him out of the kingdom because of
0: that. Yeah. So the internet has given rise to social media influencers. Uh, Many of these people are, are Christians. They claim to be Christians who purport to teach what the Bible teaches and what is true. And yet, as we both know many times, things that are taught are not always faithful to the Bible. They're not always sound in terms of their theology. What advice do you offer to young people, people who are active on Instagram and Twitter, uh, to your own kids when it comes to discerning what Christian voices to listen to in this digital, disembodied, distant kind of age that we live in? Yeah, that's
1: hard. And I admit, I don't follow influencers very much. I don't spend much time on social media. It's not really of interest to me and doesn't really do much to build me up or edify me. So I don't spend much time there. But I would hope your foremost spiritual influence is, influencer is the pastor in your local church. That's the person you know. And there's something so important about knowing somebody, not just seeing somebody in a packaged up presentation they want you to see on, on Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is, but really knowing that person seeing the way his family relates to him, seeing the way his fellow elders relate to him and so on. Um, If you can really know that person, um, then you you know whether that person's authentic or not. And then I think you maybe just build out from there who is influencing that person. If he is trustworthy, you're willing to allow him to shepherd, shepherd your soul. Well, who is influencing him? And maybe you can look at those people as well. But I don't think there's a, tremendous need often to, to branch
0: way out into the spiritual influencer Mm -hmm. world. So how would you help young people in your own church to change how they think perhaps and think about you as one of their pastors or the other pastors as those primary influences? Because I think we want to do that, but often it feels like, how are you going to break the spell, so to speak, of this online celebrity type person who they've, they're just in their ear, they're in their pocket all the time.
1: I spoke to somebody at my church not too long ago, a young man who fell down a rabbit hole of following some of those spiritual discernment influencers, and he found some that were talking about me and saying very negative things about me. And so he had this moment where he was thinking, okay, I know this pastor, Hmm. and I know he loves me and cares for me, and I know I trust him, and yet these people are saying this about him. And he said for a while it was really... It's really hard for him. It was really tormenting him. And eventually he had to realize no, I know this guy. I don't know these people. Mm. This pastor loves me. He's expressed that to me. And so I'm going to stop listening to these other voices and focus on the one I know. So again, I think build out from who you really know mm-hmm. people who are really showing love to you, modeling Christian character. It is so easy to put on airs out there through social media. That's what we do. I each think about fashion influencers and everything, how they tweak their pictures, how they look perfect. They don't look perfect in real life, but that's the presentation they put out there. The same is true in spiritual influencers. They only let you see what they want you to see. They put out a put together package, but your pastor in your local church, You'll see him when his kids misbehave. You'll see him when he's having a bad day. You'll see him when his heart is broken by some tragedy. That's who that person really is. Mm. And you can
0: hopefully then trust that person and uh, build out again from there. Yeah. Maybe a last question. As you think about the spiritual influences on your life, the men or women who have had made the biggest impact on you, who would you say is a as a great example of someone who is spiritually discerning? Yeah, I've I've had the benefit of being
1: raised around a lot of people who are, and, you know, living my life in front of a lot of people who are spiritually discerning. So it's been very, uh, very helpful to me. But yeah, I think my close friend, Paul, who uh, pastors our church as well, I think he really puts a lot of emphasis on Mm -hmm. that, but not in a way. He's not a pill about it. He's not standing in judgment of other people, but just constantly saying, what does the Bible say? And why am I not already doing it? It's Mm -hmm. sort of the way we we try to look at life together. And that's just a good way to think about life. You know, you come across what, Somebody else is saying, somebody else is writing. Well, what does the Bible say about that? And is what this person saying consistent with what the Bible says about that? Yeah, and that
0: presupposes that we need to know the Bible to then
1: yeah. know what it says about an issue. Absolutely, yeah. you got to know your Bible. You can't be discerning if you're not familiar with this source of truth. And, mm. you know, a good Bible reading plan that's taking you through the Bible both fast and slow. So maybe one year you're reading the whole thing in a year. The next year you're focusing on a book or two. Man, you just get to know your Bible and be patient with yourself because it takes a long time to really know your Bible. Many, many years usually. Uh, It's a big book with lots to learn, lots to meditate on. Allowing
0: yourself over time to grow in that ability is, is so important. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking some time today to talk with us about this important, urgently important issue of spiritual discernment. You're very welcome. That was Tim Challey's on cultivating spiritual discernment. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment. Pick up a print copy of the book for 30% off or get the ebook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. That really helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.